I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. <laughs> going to give the audience what I think they want. They want chasing and car crashing. They want the cops to bend the rules to get the job done. They want the boy to get the girl. They want the good guy to win. They want the bad guy to die. Hopefully in the biggest explosion the budget will allow. But most importantly, Senator, they want to walk into a theater and for 90 minutes forget the fucking mess that you have left of this nation. Go get your bubble gum. Yippee-ki-yay, motherfucker. Hello and welcome back to All Out of Bubblegum, the podcast. Today, we are doing a double feature of K&B, Howard Berger, Greg Nicotero effects vampire films, the movie Vampires by John Carpenter, and From Dusk Till Dawn. We have with us today, Stein again, and Marty. Hello. How are you guys doing? Hello. I guess we've gotten ourselves into a real spooktober vampire track here. Yeah. Just three vampire movies just in a row. And that was not planned at all. Just completely incidental that we ended up with so many vampire movies. Yeah. Also, as I said at the beginning here, um, vampire movies done by the same effects crew. I have to say, when I suggested pairing vampires up as a double feature with uh, From Dust to Dawn, which was the first suggestion... I had no idea that uh, there was a connection between those two, two like that. Also, uh, I guess you could say mid to late 90s uh, connection as well. They feel definitely of the same era, at least to me. Yes. I think they have a lot more similarities than just uh, makeup effects crew. Yeah, I have to say, I think their makeup effects look... Uh, a lot better in one of these movies, and I guess it will, it will come out eventually which movie that is. Okay, cool. I actually, I'm looking forward to arguing that point, or not. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. I haven't. Uh, I just finished watching Vampires like 15 minutes ago, so I have not even logged in on Letterboxd. So you guys have no indication of where my views on. John Carpenter's vampires lay until I start blasting my mouth off about him. Fair enough. So, um, but I think we should start then with From Dust Till Dawn. Yeah, I'll just say also another reason why I did want to pick these two is because they both turned into straight-to-video franchises eventually so that everyone can look forward to a Texas Blood Money, Lost Muertos uh, double feature for next October, hopefully. Can't wait. It should be interesting. I've actually never seen any of those, let alone any of the um, From Dust Till Dawn sequels. I've seen all the From Dust Till Dawn sequels, um, uh, but I think uh, Lost Muertos is directed by Tommy Lee Wallace, which I think is... Uh, really interesting but that's like because he's uh sort of like john carpenter's protege in a way yeah but that's a discussion for in 2024 i guess <laughs> okay yeah. and also star john bon jovi yeah which is exciting yeah. in its own way <laughs> yeah. i guess noted actor john bon jovi yeah i've never seen any of the sequels and i didn't even know there was a third vampire movie until you suggested it. i didn't know until right now 
Oh yeah, okay. No, I, I that one I've actually Vampires the Turning I've had on the agenda for a long time because it's uh, it enjoy it introduces uh, Thai Muay Thai into the franchise for some reason, and I have a <laughs> a list of part three sequels that introduces Muay Thai into franchises that have had zero Muay Thai up to that point. The others being uh, Sniper Three and uh, Scanners Three. So oh, okay. get on the get on that train also never seen any of the scanners uh sequels or spinoffs yeah I, i've never seen them either i just know they have muay thai in them. okay so um from dust till dawn uh directed by robert rodriguez written by quentin tarantino where do you stand on this film well right you're a big tarantino fan huh uh yeah sure I I love Tarantino I I love all his movies and uh, I think this is easily the worst thing he's ever written. <laughs> mm. Um, yeah. Um, well, it's also he didn't uh, direct this one. Um, but <clears throat> yeah, I don't know. I would say like I think this is his weakest script. Um, this is I think what I don't remember really what the origin story of this is, but it was like. Like this wasn't one of those scripts he. This was basically a script he wrote, on order for something to like to make this film. Yeah. Like this was not one of the like his original. It's, it's of course his original script. This wasn't one that he was like, oh yeah, this is a picture that I want to make. This was more like they came to him and was like, oh, can you write this, write this, write us a movie like this or something. Yeah, Robert Kurtzman, the K and K and B effects, uh, asked him to write his script. That makes sense, because he was he was originally planning on directing it. Yeah, obviously didn't end up directing this one, but uh, he made his directorial debut with Wishmaster, I think. Okay, which is fantastic. Well, that's the year after, a much right? better movie. Yeah, sorry, what was that, Rob? Uh, that's the year after too, right? I think Wishmaster. Um, maybe even before, or no? Let me check. Exciting stuff, this. Is this 96? Yeah, Wishmaster's 97. You're right. Oh, I'm actually seeing now Robert Kurtzman directed The Demolitionist with Nicole Eggert before this. So he had mm. made a movie. I've never oh, okay. seen that movie. Yeah, me neither. But it's a, I think it's a bit of a um, Robocop ripoff, that one. Okay. Sounds good. Well, I watched the documentary Full Tilt Boogie. Um, right after I watched this movie and Tarantino and Rodriguez are exceptionally proud of what they're doing here. And this was, this was a making off from back then, right? It's not a retrospective. Yes. The, uh, Sarah Kelly documentary. She's just kind of following the crew around. I think it was released a couple of years after the movie though. Yeah. And if I've seen it too, if it, it follows the, it follows the crew, but then all the, all the parts with the actors and stars are very much more in the mockumentary vein. In in a way, um, they also they follow around quite a bit the story of the union strike that was looming over them at the time, which makes it semi-topical now. Any which, case, uh, they which I guilt? just which what which guild. Uh, is they bring up Sega Afra? So. Oh, Sega. Okay. Yeah, the VAG strike is over. 
in any case, uh, I was just saying that, uh, that for something that he basically threw together, he's very happy with it. Um, and I, you know, I remember watching this movie and really enjoying it before. And this time I watched it, I was like, yeah, it's kind of a bad movie, but I don't know if it's meant to be a better movie. Oh, Full Tilt Boogie? No, uh, from Dust Till Dawn. Yeah, because I'd, I'd almost, I'd consider putting Full Tilt Boogie on like uh, the list of uh, documentaries that are better than the movie they were about being made. I don't know if I would call Full Tilt Boogie like a, a necessarily an informational documentary, no. but it perfectly encapsulates what it's like to be on a film set. It is, it is both a documentary and sort of like a comedy but it, it's highly entertaining. Um, yeah. I actually, it actually was so good that it bummed me out. <laughs> At the end of it, I was just like, man, yeah, that's that's what it's like, yeah. Give us a full deal boogie about part two. Yeah. In any case, um, this was also George Clooney's, I think, first um, decent-sized film role. I think he'd done, like, Return of the killer tomatoes and stuff like something like that. It was definitely his first major movie role following ER and his like him becoming a huge star like that. Like it was just like, yeah, I mean, he, he'd done stuff like what's the red surf, a surfing action movie. I did in like the eighties. Yeah. Grizzly two. Let's not forget Grizzly two. Well, the unreleased Grizzly two. Which, well, now it's released. Yeah, at the time, though. Yeah, 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 it was released in, like, 2021 or something. But um, I, I I, didn't watch ER. That was not not my show growing up. So the only thing I had ever seen that guy from at the time was Return of the Killer Tomatoes, which I know is weird, but that was what I was into at the time. And I... Thought he was awesome. Uh, I still think he's great in the in this movie. I, I wish he played more roles like this. He kind of does an out of sight, but not really. Yeah, I think he's great in this movie. It's, it's I wrote it in my notes. Like, uh, can we have this this George Clooney back, please? Like, when's the last time George Clooney did anything this fun? Yeah, I actually saw someone post about that. It's like. Uh, a challenge, like try to name the last uh, three movies George Clooney directed, because that's what he's doing now, and it's like all his stuff is just getting worse and worse and worse, and just sounds fake. <laughs> Genuinely, name me one of the last three movies George Clooney directed. Suburbicon. Uh, that is one of them. Yeah, I couldn't even remember the title of that one. Like nobody. Monuments Men. Uh, no, Monuments Men is I think the fourth last one. Oh shit. He made. Um, the Tender Bar was one. It was uh, something about Ben Affleck playing an alcoholic uncle or something in a coming-of-age thing. So I remember him making a movie of Catch-22, but I don't know when that came out, if it came that's, out. Uh, that's that's a Yeah, that's an HBO show. Okay. He did two episodes of that. I remember hearing about it, and that was it. Yeah, it came out. Nobody gave a shit. Okay. <laughs> and he made... Uh, it made a Netflix movie called Midnight Sky. Also, some some space movie. I never saw it, but like it's it's so weird that this that guy he did Confessions of a Dangerous Mind and then Good Night and Good Luck, and it was like, holy shit, 
George Clooney's like uh, such a great filmmaker. This guy is going places, and then everything since is just like the dullest shit ever. He's got a new movie now coming out calling The Boys in the Boat or something. <laughs> Never heard about it before. And it's like, how is he doing this? This guy was like what ten years ago, fifteen years ago. This guy was the biggest movie star on the planet. It is weird. It does feel like he just dropped off. Yeah, he could do anything, and he was like, "No, I want to direct terrible movies. That's what I want to do." <laughs> not even like, not even in a respectful way. Not you can't even if he if he was just like, "I want to do DTV sequels," you'd respect that. But no, it's just like the most middling festival garbage that nobody watches. It's not even good. Come on, do a From Dusk Till Dawn legacy sequel twenty years after. Uh, 20 years. It's almost 30 years. Jesus. Well, one of the things I'd always hoped, which does not look like it will ever happen now, which is that Tarantino's final film would be a big send-off kind of movie, and he'd sort of wrap up some of these things, you know, show, you know, what's going on with Kill, uh, Beatrix Kiddo's daughter from Kill Bill, and the characters from True Romance, where they ended up, and you know, a lot of them end up south of the border, so, you know, that includes uh, Clooney's character from from Dust Till Dawn here. And so I, I thought uh, it would be cool if they all just popped up somewhere in that mo- final movie. But uh, that doesn't look like it's going to be the case. So it's a bummer. Yeah, it felt like something he used to be more into, like sort of having his own giant shared universe where all his characters exist together. It feels like he sort of dropped that. Um, yeah. Well, I guess it, it even in this one you have Michael Parks, and then he returns in Kill Bill playing the same character, and in Death Proof playing yep. the same character, but several years earlier, which is weird. It's weird to think that this is a sequel to Planet Terror. Technically, that doesn't yeah. really that doesn't really work out. Doesn't really add up. But whatever. Yeah. More Mark. More Michael Parks is uh, fun. It's more of a alternate universe kind of thing because. His character just dies, you know. So they're like, okay, but you know, how many times does uh, Cheech Marin pop up in this? So plays at least three characters. Yeah. But yeah, I, there's someone. I think there's a fan theory about it. Like if Michael Parks is in the movie, it's a fictional movie within the Tarantino's universe. Thing. I don't know. I don't care. It's too much. Yeah. To think about. But Michael Parks is great in this one. I love that. This is a, it's a great opening sequence. Yeah. Well, the other thing that's fun about the way Michael Parks, when he shows up, because he kind of opens the movie, but he is, everybody speaks in a kind of, in a very Tarantino-esque fashion, except Michael Parks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But that's kind of what Tarantino cast him for. Yeah. Because he remembers him from, I don't know really what, but... Some stuff in the 70s, 60s, and 70s, probably. Um, I don't remember what he turns up in. Are you sure he's not just a big fan of Michael Parks in The Hitman with Chuck Norris? Maybe. That's what that's <laughs> what it is. He just loves The Hitman so much. Uh, but, yeah, no, I, he, he cast him because he thinks he has one of the greatest voices uh, of all time and just loves the way he talks, and it's... It's hard to disagree with that, really, because he is fantastic. Uh, I just love 
Love hearing him talk. Yeah, I'm thinking also maybe it's a Death Wish 5. Those are Tarantino's two favorite movies are Death Wish 5 and The Hitman. <laughs> he just loves those movies. Probably does. So when um, the movie is more or less a straight kind of crime, um, I don't know what you call it, like a hostage movie for the majority of the film. And it's basically 50-50, isn't it? Is it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah okay. I think so. It's I like think 40 minutes. I always felt like the first hour was was pretty straight crime and the last half hour is just vampire craziness. I mean, maybe you're right. Maybe it's like they get to the to the bar at about 40 minutes, but then there's 20 minutes at the bar before everyone turns into vampires. I think that's how it is, yeah. But I came in, so when I first saw this movie, I never, I didn't see the opening with Michael Parks. Um, I caught this movie on cable back in the day, and I didn't know what I was watching. And so I assumed that there had been a bank robbery scene already, and I just missed it. Um, and so I'm watching this movie as a crime film. Um, I missed all the marketing, didn't see any of that, didn't know what this movie was, didn't know what it was called, and when it turns into a vampire movie, it just blew me away. Okay, because I had that written, because it's, I think it's a bit of a Mandela effect thing where people are like, oh, it was a twist all along, and it's like, no, 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 the original trailers all showed the vampires. That wasn't, it wasn't unmarketed. It's also marked as counter, The I saw the trailer after I watched the movie, and it's marked as, counter-programming to interview with the vampire. Mm. They, they they go, vampires, no interviews. That's what it says <laughs> oh, in the trailer. Yeah. I don't know. I'm like, okay. This is not your boring vampire movie. It's like about stuff. This is fun. They, you know, that's what they're trying to do. And I'm like, okay. Yeah. But I'd, I'd missed all that. And so I'd never even heard of this movie. Okay, like when I first watched, yeah, it. I watched it. I'm so telling. Late. I told everyone I'd, I'd, because the, the credits is at the end of the credits, yeah. or the name of the title is, or the name of the movie, and I told everyone you got to watch this movie. You have to watch this. And uh, I really enjoyed it as a, you know, a twelve year old boy, or whatever, however old I was. But I, I like it a lot less now. I will say. I can guess your favorite part back when you were 12 years old. <laughs> it's also Tarantino's favorite part. <laughs> yeah. How to tell that he wrote it without knowing that he wrote it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, that's still, that's a good move, honestly. Uh, if I'm him, I'm like, okay, I would do the same thing. I think I came to it uh, the completely different way where it was so talked about as a vampire movie by the time I watched it that. And that I was like, okay, where's the vampires? Uh, for the first hour, was like, where's the vampires? This is the vampire movie. Bring me the vampires. Which is sort of ironic, because now it's like the first half of this movie is easily my favorite half of this movie. The, I feel the movie does not really hold up after the introduction of the vampires. Yeah, well, it's interesting, um, yeah, because I, I was all about it as a kid. Uh, that that section of the movie but watching it now i'm 
why I ended up back in the headspace I was when I first watched it, which was, oh, I, I'm interested to see how this family um, takes apart these two hardened criminals. And, and you know, and it thwarts their plans, basically. Renews the dad's faith, all this stuff that's being set up. But, uh, you know, obviously it just goes a different way. Which, you know, whatever, it's fun. They can do whatever they want. But I, I did end up feeling like, oh man, you know, I feel like there is a better movie in here somewhere. Hmm. Yeah. So I, I have to say also just about the family, Harvey Keitel in this, very miscast. I think he's not good in it at all. He's completely wrong for that character. I think he's fun. Uh, I don't know what he's doing. I really don't. He's, you know, how far is this from bad lieutenant? <laughs> very far. <laughs> But I mean, chronologically, because he is so much more interesting in that. Okay. I think it's four four years. I think Bad Lieutenant's 92. And this is 96. That one is, you know, I'm like, he's doing interesting things in that. And I, I can't figure out what he's doing in this one. And by the time they turn it around, it's way too late. And he and you're like, okay, well, it might as well just be somebody else at the end. Yeah, it, he doesn't really work for me. The whole character doesn't work for me. And I, yeah, Kaitel in the character doesn't work for me. Maybe, but maybe that's because the character didn't work on the page. But again, they are so proud of this script in that doc. <laughs> well, it's a fun movie. It's basically a big budget B movie. Yeah, you know, and that's that's where I I kind of I, I I still appreciate what they do because you know they're trying to have fun and it kind of is fun. It's kind of neat and there's a lot of effects and I like to I like uh, seeing Fred Williamson, Tom Zavini show up. I'm all about that and you you know little John Saxon and Kelly Preston cameos. It's like great. Uh, I kind of have fun in this. In a, in a cheap way, which is not unlike when you watch the Marvel movies and you go, oh my God, that's this character or whatever. And I kind of feel the same way when I watch this. I'm like, all right. Yeah, I do. I really loved uh, Fred Williamson in this. I do. Uh, this is also my 56th uh, Fred Williamson movie that I've seen this year. Oh, wow. And I have to say, uh, probably his best performance. <laughs> uh, like he, he gets to be a lot of fun in this one. Even though it's a it's a small part, but um, say what you want, but like Tarantino really knows how to dust off those old stars and like play to their absolute strengths, and uh, it's fun. Get to see the hammer impale four chicks on a table on each leg. Yeah, <laughs> fantastic. Yeah, and who we also see in this film is a very young John Hawks. In the opening scene with Michael Parks, he plays the guy behind the counter. Oh, which is another scene. Um, I think this is the last thing they filmed in the movie. Actually, was that whole all the all that stuff right there? Yeah, um, I think so too. But that was um, that burn effect, that stunt 
uh, is pretty good. And it's funny as hell when he falls onto the popcorn and the popcorn starts popping. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's that's the move. That's should tip you off as to what kind of movie you're into. Exactly. You're in for. Yeah, but this also is this is like Tarantino's final big part. He really did stop acting much after this one. I think like stop when you're at the top. Yeah, well, because he gives himself a decent-sized role in Reservoir Dogs, a big, uh, important role in Pulp Fiction, and then he has a cameo in Desperado and in Four Rooms, and then it's this one, and then after that, he, he kind of stops. He All his cameos are more limited. Uh, sadly, he returns for a larger cameo in uh, Django Unchained. Jesus Christ. <laughs> uh, what a painful scene to watch. But I don't know. I don't know what happened here. Why? Why he 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 just stopped acting? Maybe he finally realized uh, he's not that good at it. Mm, you know, maybe. Maybe just focus more on the directing. Yeah, I don't know because it's people really forget how much he was also an actor at one point. Like he did Wait Until Dark on Broadway, playing the Alan Arkin part. Like people do not remember that. Like the Tarantino was, it was big enough. It's like a big enough phenomena as an actor that they put him on Broadway, doing like plays and stuff. Like he really did acting for a while, and that's the, the lady who plays the hostage that they have at the beginning that he ends up uh, killing. Uh, that is his acting teacher. Oh, uh, yeah. That's like he's that's a cameo he gives to her and. Um, yeah, maybe ask for your money back. <laughs> but yeah, I think she also has a cameo in I, Pulp Fiction, I think it is. She plays Bruce Willis's mom in that one. Which basically, uh, she's the guy, like, here's Christopher Walken. Talk to him. He knew your dad. That's her, Sam Actress. Oh, well, that's interesting. I don't know. Uh, I didn't, I've never found him interesting as an actor. Uh, my understanding was that he was using acting to sort of pay his bills while he wrote scripts. Oh, uh, yeah. So I didn't know that he was taking a, a serious shot at it. And now when he t- appears in his his own movies, I always think of it as more of like a Hitchcockian wink. Yeah, well, he's limited himself for sure, but... At the start, it felt like he also thought he was an actor, kind of like he he gave himself uh, pivotal roles in his own movies, thinking like, oh, why cast an actor when I can just play myself because I'm that good? <laughs> yeah, I suppose so. Because I know he did, uh, he, at least he was on Golden Girls, I know that. Yeah. That's one of the Elvis impersonations. Mm-hmm. But here, I think he is, uh, I mean, he's he's suitable as a, as a creep. Yeah. Um, and it's funny that that's the role he gave himself. <laughs> well, you get it when he lets Salma Hayek put her foot in his mouth and pour <laughs> tequila down it. Yeah. Like that's like okay, I get it. That's that's why you cast yourself as that character. You know what though? Uh, like I said, I would have done the exact same thing. Yeah, I can see why he did. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and I was I was surprised to find that. Uh, seen that scene like I expected this to have come out before Desperado 
Just like Selma Hayek's part feels more like a. I feel like okay, did she want they watched Castor in this? And she was so great that they gave her a bigger role than the next one. But it's the other other way around. They cast her in the big role, and then they were like, okay, you can have a tiny role in this next one. She seems to just be, uh, I'm guessing, a friend because she's also in four rooms, uh, you know, dancing on the TV where, they, they, where you just see her, your body. I don't think you see her face. Okay. Yeah. Well, I just, I, I don't know. It, it made more sense to me if they went, if it went the other way, but I guess it's sort of like a cameo. Yeah. And she's great. Um, actually, I, I think she's fantastic in this movie. Oh yeah. Yeah. It just, again, it just felt like this is sort of thing where everyone's like, Oh, discover her in this. And then they're like, okay, let's, let's get her for a bigger part in the next movie. Cause everyone remembers the hot dancing lady. But it's it's the other way around, as I say. Like she was in Desperado first, and then she just has the the cameo. Yeah, but basically everybody in the final half is a cameo. Yeah, sorta. But also, just again, directors who you don't remember their movies anymore, like uh, Robert Rodriguez. I wish his movies looked as good as this anymore. They're all just digital garbage now, and. He just keeps pumping stuff out under the radar that I've never heard of. Like, he he's made four feature films and a concert movie since Alita: Battle Angel, and I've never heard of any of them. He also made one that was put in a time capsule, right? This is yeah. yeah. Thank God I'll be dead. Yeah. So I don't have to watch that one. Yeah. But yeah, no, just like he made something called Red Eleven. We can be heroes. Hypnotic and a Spy Kids reboot? Oh, Hypnotic is the Ben Affleck one, right? Uh, I guess. Or is that not his? I think so. Yeah, it looks like it's Ben Affleck. And But yeah, where? Wh- why? You used to make good shit, man. You wrote one of the best books about making movies without money. And then you, know, you just make all this just pumping out garbage and it all looks terrible i have been of the opinion for a long time that his the inequality we saw in his stuff was a fluke because he it's so inconsistent that he's doing anything good and i know people really liked uh, for instance they were really psyched when he was going to be doing um that Star Wars show, Book of Boba Fett. Yeah. And I think he, I think it's terrible. When he's directing, it's awful. So I don't have a, and not that that show really has a lot of good redeeming uh, episodes or anything, but I don't think he is as good as we thought. You know, you watch Desperado, and I'm like, somebody else is doing something that's making this as good as it is, because it doesn't appear to be him. I don't know. I think El Mariachi is really great. And then just the more, uh, I don't know, access he had to anything just made his movies worse and worse and worse. It's like, oh, I can just use CGI for everything now. Well, I can just shoot digital and save some money. And it's like, ah. Well, you can feel that happening in this one. If you just look, watch the watch the El Mariachi movies. They just go from the first one's really inventive and the second one's just all out crazy how much violence can i put in this and then the third one is just all 
digital muscle flashes, digital blood, shot on digital, and it just looks like ass. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, this one also has a lot of questionable CGI in it, really. A lot of uh, the transformation stuff that looks terrible. It's much better when they just don't show the transformation, just cut to the makeup. Yeah. And it, then it's like, okay, well, this looks better. And well, then... every single time they're using practical effects, it looks cool. Even when he's fighting the the, the giant rat-looking yeah. version. Oh, yeah. You're like, it's hella cool. Yeah, you're like, that's great. I wasn't that bothered by the digital morphs. It looks silly, but the, the film is silly. What's well, the first part that really, really dates it for me? Yeah, there's things in there you're like, okay, um, 90s. But then when they do the, the morph, the digital morph thing into their full makeup, I'm, okay, that is, that is just a heavy mark of its time. I think the first time I ever saw that effect was in Willow. And, and this is just, okay, we're just really leaning into that now. Yeah. It's the, but some of the makeup is great. I I think Fred Williamson's makeup is not good. Like when he's dead, he, um, no. like when he dies, basically. So like you see, and it's like, that's just, it just looks weird. Like when you, when it first appears, you're like, okay, that's good. But then just the longer the camera lingers on it, you're like, this looks like shit. Why would and they you really linger on it too? Why would you show so much of this, please? Yeah, yeah. They just, they give him that zoom, and he's pointing at them, and they really linger there. Because uh, uh, the Tom Savini's makeup looks looks cool. His and his transformation scene is a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, and he the way he plays it too is fun. Yeah, love love him. Love him in this. I like the scene where he introduces himself to uh, Juliette Lewis. Just the fact that his name is Sex Machine so funny. Yeah, again, someone who's slightly miscast in this one. Juliette Lewis, she's great in it, but it's just coming off Natural Born Killers and Cape Fear, and then casting her in this one sort of like as the, oh no, the sweet, innocent girl who doesn't know that much, and it's like, Mm, it's not really working because you've, especially because you know Natural Born Killer is already a Tarantino script, so you've already sort of like stapled her as this completely other character in pop culture, and now you want to try to play that back against type. Doesn't really work for me. Well, I thought that was an interesting casting because she is doing a, a kind of a variant of her cape fear character but the fact that she had done natural born killers which tarantino is a noted not fan of and i just thought like oh is this like an apology casting or like it's very interesting to me that she's even in it and that she's playing uh a character like he it's also indicative of the kind of casting that tarantino does where he goes oh they were really good in this one role I want to bring them back in a similar role. And that's what it feels like. He he saw her in Cape Fear or something and went, I want to do that. But also, yeah, because you're because you made that movie I didn't like of off my script. I guess. Yeah, I'd like to work with you better. I guess that makes sense. Like he, he it's sort of like a middle finger to Oliver Stone. 
Like he he wants to try to reclaim her, but yeah, I don't know. I'm gonna have to give it to Oliver Stone on this one, Tarantino. I think he I think he won, and uh, which character she'll be be most remembered as? Yeah, I would agree with that. Although I do, I, I agree with you as well that uh, uh, I really like her in this movie. Yeah, me too. I think she works for the part. But this is another one. Uh, speaking of the. You know, the, the Salma Hayek uh, in Desperado first, where this is Robert Rodriguez directing, and uh, this is a step down in terms of action. Just just the way that it's shot. Definitely, definitely. I, the, very, the whole whole second half feels very haphazardly, actually. I, felt, I saw someone say it, it feels a bit like... Uh, Robert Rodriguez just feels like a, a a child directing this almost. Like he's just like ah, do that, do that, do that, do that, and with no attention to detail. Like he, it felt like he had in in uh, Desperado. Yeah, they probably had to shoot around uh, the effects. Yeah, well, there's definitely a push and pull with the effects team and the action choreography going on, and the effects team is winning. Yeah. To to whatever extent you might call winning, because I don't think that the effects look all that great, as I said, but they kind of do at times. Also, it's like up in the air what they're trying to do with the effects, because sometimes it, it's like a it's like watching Evil Dead Two, because you see green blood and things kind of squishing around, but then other times they're just you know, it's just really, really violent. Um, Fred, the hammer, rips somebody's heart out. And they, you know, there's, there, there's like this kind of, you know, whatever we think is cool in the moment, we're just going to do it. Um, that kind of works. But mostly, um, it just kind of leaves me feeling a little uh, disjointed about it, about it, everything. They I think that's my favorite part of the movie when Fred Williamson rips the heart out and it's just still beating in his hand and the vampire keeps living because they have to kill the heart. Yeah, because that's a bit of a fun part. Somebody, and it might even been Williamson himself, thought it would be cool. But it's just like, yeah, that's what are we taking this scene seriously or not? I don't, I just don't know. Well, I, I think. Robert Kurtzman um, came up with the story, asked Tarantino to write it because he wanted a movie that would showcase the effect, as he did with Wishmaster as well. Hmm. Wishmaster is just a flimsy excuse for some fantastic effects. Yeah, that's true. It's a great film, and I think that's sort of what's going on here. Like, just write, write a movie, and the second half, we get to go crazy. And that's what they do. Second half is all about the effects. Because that's a is that a thing? Like, did he do effects on Reservoir Dogs for free? In sort of, and then the trade off was that he wrote the script. Am I just making that up? I have not heard this. But could be. Okay, maybe don't 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 assume that's correct. Assume that's something I made up. Then. <laughs> so, at the end of this, though, I'm like. I don't feel like I had a bad time, but I did have a less good time than I had the first time I watched this. 
Yeah, well, I feel I like this one less every time I watch it, just a bit. Like, I think the the first half gets better, and the last, second half gets worse every time I watch it, but it just doesn't Yeah, doesn't really work for me. That's how I, I felt watching Especially this. Especially the second half. It just feels like a, feels like a whiff, like just uh, Rodri- Robert Rodriguez just caving into his impulses and just doing too much schlock with wink and just doesn't no 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 gravitas to that that second half at all in the way that the first half does and uh i guess that's a sort of like yeah just uh how uneven and not connected the two halves of it feel and you know what um that makes me think of is that part where harvey Keitel says to george clooney are you such a poor loser? You can't understand when you've won. Yeah. Because it's just like, oh, you're, you know, you're doing, you're doing something interesting. And then he just jumps full head first into whatever the world that second half is. Yeah. I also feel all the performances much better pre vampire, post vampire, not as good. But it did give me that uh, just this weird kind of sad scene in that Full Tilt Boogie documentary where they're interviewing Fred Williamson in full makeup. Mm. You can't even see his mouth because he's got that weird thing on. And he's just talking about his own production company. and Po' boy. Yeah. And you're like, "Uh, I don't know. This this feels sad. I've watched so many Paul Boy productions this year. Jesus. I watched every single Fred <laughs> Williamson directorial effort this year. Uh, What's the best one? Oh, okay. Uh, let me check that real quick. Um, None of them. No, no. I enjoyed some of them. I think Big Score might be the one I enjoyed the most, which was kind of like a... Like a neo noir, I guess, uh, and it has a lot, has a great cast in it. Uh, Richard Roundtree's in that one too, at least. Uh, yeah, uh, a lot of mixed bags. Um, I enjoyed some stuff like Fox Trap, but it's not great. It's just sort of like most of the problem is that all of them have some fun, and then they have like just a, some really long, dull streaks in them. Not a not a great director. I wouldn't recommend going. A hundred percent on his directorial efforts, but I did it. <laughs> That's too bad. But um, you know, I, I don't think there's anything that I would say dull in in this movie. I actually think I was pretty wrapped the entire time. It's just that I didn't I didn't like it as much as I I remembered liking it. Yeah, it's not it's not dull. It's just I feel it has a great. The setup and then the payoff just feels kind of like silly, not satisfactory to me. Also, Fred Williamson loses his mustache when he becomes a vampire. Just, just making a note of that. <laughs> Unforgivable. Tom Savini doesn't lose his goatee. Oh, okay. So, who? But someone, someone who interviews, uh, interview Robert Kurtzman, ask about that. Was there a clause in the contract? Tom Savini said. The beard stays on. Fred Williamson say the stash can go. <laughs> Don't know. 
I need a Watergate uh, type investigation into this. <laughs> yes. Mustache gate. But yeah. Um, what do you, what is the uh, the engine of that movie? I don't understand. If what they're trying to say, are they trying to say that there's always been vampires here and they live in, they've lived in this ancient temple or are they just saying that this was, this is a recent hangout for the vampires that happened to be an old temple? No, no, no. This was, this was always what they were doing. Well, cause it's like That's an... why it was exclusively for uh, bikers and truckers because nobody would miss them. Yeah, like but they could just disappear. But there's a Aztec temple, and then yeah. I'm gonna go ahead and blow your mind. But Aztecs and truckers, there's a they didn't exist at the same time. Like, what were they doing for like the 600 oh. years between the Aztec Empire's fall and the rise of the invention of the automobile? I don't know. I'm gonna spoilers. Part three is uh. Is uh, deals with this, I guess. Oh. Well, it's not. It's set in the. It's uh, set in like the eighteen hundreds, actually. Okay, I'm hi I'm hyped for October twenty twenty five. Yeah, get ready. Muay Thai and vampire <laughs> western. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that would be a great great segue to the next film if we're uh, ready for it already. Oh, vampire western. Yeah. Okay, go for it. Well, I guess this is, I wrote this, but I can come back to it, I guess. It's just my final note on From Dust Till Dawn, is that it It feels like a zombie movie when it's looking back at it. And I think watching vampires is what put me in that perspective in a way. It's sort of like they're just, they're just trapped in one place with just people piling onto them. And in contrast to vampires, there's no notable vampire antagonist. And I'm like, okay, that, that feels weird. That's unlike any vampire movie I've seen, really. Uh, they're just creatures. Yeah. Basically. And that's why it's like, okay, this is almost really a zombie movie, but he made the zombies vampires. Yes. So that they could talk. I don't know. But that's sort of like that was a realization I made about why I felt this movie didn't work, but I didn't make it until I watched vampires and was like okay this is what from dusk till dawn is missing Thomas Ian Griffith yes exactly yeah the karate kid three himself crease <laughs> well, well he wasn't or no that's not crease silver yeah silver. silver is the guy well he wasn't the karate kid. although he was younger than Ralph Macchio when they made karate kid three Ralph Macchio was like 37 in that one <laughs> Well, he, he is fantastic in Vampire, I gotta say. Yes. Well, he... Exactly the right amount of camp. I guess we can just, yeah, just move on to two Vampires then, which is a, very much a Western, uh, like a neo-Western or a modern Western. So this movie, I have the inverse um, issue, or not issue, it's a, the opposite of an issue, where this... For vampires, I like more every time I watch it. Well, this was my first time watching it, but I liked it quite a bit. And uh, yeah, spoilers, this is the one with the better effects. Uh, I think they're used better. It's yeah, like the, the exact same crew doing the effects. And the only time that that really 
um, is apparent is when Thomas Ian Griffith uh, tears that fella in half. Yes. At the hotel. Yeah, uh, Mark Boone Jr. Amazing effect. Yeah. Well, this was, uh, I guess this was sort of like a comeback for John Carpenter. Not really, because he just came off Escape from L.A., so like it wasn't a comeback for him in a in a sense that he went from a bomb to a giant success or like he just revisited one of his uh, most famous properties but uh he was really burned out at the time uh, really tired of hollywood and stuff and this was uh for him was sort of like a a project that revived his interest and made him want to want to go back and, and direct again because he was he was ready to retire uh from movies after escape from la until he got this script yeah, and this is, I think, the last good thing that he directed, too. That is my my final note is uh, John Carpenter's last great film, question mark. Because, yeah, I mean, I, I have a, we discussed this on the Patreon, I do have a enjoyment of Ghosts of Mars, but, I mean, this makes, this bear pisses on Ghosts of Mars. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but this is based on a on a novel. Um, I don't know if you. I mean, it does say so in the, in the credits, in the opening credits. Yeah. It's not a secret, but uh, it's very loosely adapted from it, from what I understand. Uh, the Jack Crow is still the still the lead in the book, but he's like a, a former DEA agent, and a very different ending where he sort of gives up and just lets vampires uh, turn him. And then a different character that doesn't appear in the movie sort of becomes the new task force uh, leader, the new vampire hunter team leader. And the novel ends with him uh, preventing a vampire, Jack Crow, uh, trying to uh, turn the Pope into a vampire. <laughs> That's the... Okay. <laughs> it's a... Uh... Does the cross feature in the book? I, I don't think so, no. It's very different. It doesn't really have that kind of uh, a clear villain character that this movie has. It's much more about um, sort of the Jack Crow character uh, losing his faith and becoming like just burned out. And then after his team is killed, he basically lets himself be turned into a vampire. But... Uh, Killing of the team happens much later in the book. It's very, very loosely not really based on. They're not really, uh, yeah. It's not really a um, close adaptation of the book in any way. Well, the, it just really contains a few characters and the fact that they kill vampires. The, yeah, the and are backed by the Catholic Church. The movie here is sort of. I I like the concept of, it's they almost make vampire hunting into this kind of blue collar type situation which they did again in day shift recently which i also kind of enjoyed um that f movie came out 15 years ago day shift day shift was oh sorry day shift no i'm thinking of the one with willem dafoe and no, Ethan Hawke. i'm talking about daybreakers daybreakers, daybreakers. Okay, that is... i guess day, yeah, shift day shift just came out a, like the name just makes a me similar think of... title yeah <laughs> okay yeah, okay, yeah, I get it. No, it's, I haven't been in a coma for 16 years okay. since I just woke up. No, it, it did come out last year, yeah. But yeah, it's the this the the idea that these guys are, you know, they're just doing a job. I love that. And, and 
you know, Daniel Baldwin out there whistling while they're just pulling vampires out into the sunlight with a, you know, with a crank there on the Jeep. I'm like, that's fantastic. And he's just whistling because, you know, it's just a job. Yeah, I like Also, they just set up a lot of, like, really solid, like, basically lore and rules and stuff yep. in this one. The really only, early on. The only time that doesn't work for me is when he is explaining it to the priest uh, later on, the, the young priest. And I get why they're doing yeah. it. It's for our benefit, the audience. But when I'm watching it, I'm going, this guy should know all this. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely one of those, like, this is actually for the audience type scenes. But I really like James Woods in this movie, so I kind of I let all that kind of go. Oh, he's great. He plays a uh, massive sleazebag, and he's so, so good at that. Like That was his bread and butter, and he is just such a great, such a great sleazeball on movies. Yes. Oh, I miss this James Woods. <laughs> yeah. James Woods, uh, what is it? Executive producer of Oppenheimer. What? Really? Huh. Yeah. It turns up in the credits. It's like, I forget what it is, but... There was something where uh, he was able to help them secure a location or something. Where he knew a guy or something, and so he gets a, a really high-ranking producer credit. It's like his only ever executive producer credit is on Oppenheimer. Uh, and all he did was he helped out with something. There was something they needed. I forget what it is, but he was able to secure it for them. And it's like, okay. And so he's like... The fourth name and when in the in the credits at the end of the movie it's like executive producer James Woods. Jeez. Um, one thing that I noted in this movie is how many times they they pull a fake out. Like they're always like, oh, the vampires could be around or through this door, and then it always is like, no, it was in the same room, and it just like jumps on somebody. <laughs> they just they do that multiple times. And the best one is probably when Cheryl Lee's hooker character walks into the room and Thomas Ian Griffith is on the ceiling. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's also... That's probably the most visually interesting one. Yeah, and then it just turns into a very sexual vampire attack. <laughs> that's, yes. That well, like, that's... Oh, what's that? Yeah, that feels like uh, Carpenter just being like... Uh, you you want sexy vampires? I'm just, like it's not even a metaphor at this point. We're just going right in. Yeah, yeah. Like she's enjoying the encounter. It's uh, it's fun. <laughs> yeah, because being turned is is like being turned on. Yeah. No. <laughs> well, it's it's like sex, right? Sort of. Yes. Yeah. Uh, massive. That's that's another thing where you know they don't really go go into it, but. James Woods is like massively homophobic in his language and and sexist. Yeah. <laughs> he keeps talking about asking people if they get boners. Yep. Do you get a boner? That give you a boner? Did you get wood? Mahogany? Yeah. Well, he's just also, a massive asshole in this film. Yeah, and I would just like to note that one of the last things Gene Siskel did before dying was passionately advocate that James Wood should be nominated for the Best Actor Oscar in their in a memo to the Academy special he and Ebert did like just weeks before he passed away for this film 
for this film and you can just see he is actively almost actively dying in the video and he's like no james woods should be should be nominated for the academy award for <laughs> vampires so at least he he went out well i agree guns placing no. i guess <laughs> no uh this is it is a great um role for him so i don't know it's it's cool that you don't usually see it's you're definitely not now but you would not see somebody like a james woods headlining a film no i mean he's he's of the old school like his, his face looks like it's made out of leather in this one yeah but it's but also it's maybe the last movie where his hair uh looks like it's not dyed yeah like his dye jobs becomes painfully obvious uh like at the turn of the uh, century, I only only know him as this or just white gray hair. Yeah, I think it's the it's his TV show that he did his, the lawyer TV show. Yeah, that one it's like ooh, that is a that is a die job. I don't know if I've seen him in anything between this and like, what was it, White House Down or uh, Olympus Has Fallen? A White House Down. White House Down. Yeah, he, it's the one that he did, and he just stayed in character forever <laughs> no, I, I'm thinking that that's not a character that's him yeah pretty much so yeah the other thing I guess notable is as always with Carpenter's films is the score yeah which I love this kind of I mean it's, it's you know he's clearly western inspired yeah but he's also it, it just really reinforces that that blue collar thing because i guess it's similar to the score in they live i think that's probably where that comes from okay i was thinking of like walter hill western scores are you thinking the like one uh, last man standing kind of thing yeah like last man standing long riders uh like that whole uh the rye cooter sort yeah. of uh touch that the uh, geronimo is the, the other one yeah that was felt like he was sort of like maybe challenging that a bit. Yeah. Because it's, it's very, it's not the Carpenter scores, one of the Carpenter scores, like what you associate with him, but felt it still was, was good. Yeah, I was surprised by how good it was, considering that it isn't one of the ones that gets mentioned anywhere, really. Yeah. It isn't, it isn't a, a, an iconic score or theme song, but it is fucking great. Yeah, they, it's like it's not brought up alongside the other John Carpenter scores. People always talk about like Halloween or Escape from New York. No, and it's too bad because it's really good. This is also a, um, I would say, a fairly mean-spirited movie. Definitely, definitely. There is... Uh... Like, I, I want to get into not just... Like, these guys are brutal to the vampires, but... Not that the vampires aren't brutal as well, but just they have an attitude to it, and then just an attitude towards, I guess, women in general. Like, it, like look how they treat Cheryl Lee in the whole movie. It's really rough. No attitude toward everyone, because even among themselves. What every, in everything? Yeah. Nobody like they're the crew. You get the sense they're friendly to each other. Yeah. But outside of that little bubble. They are just fucking mean. Yeah, they're all assholes. Yeah. <laughs> they're too blue collar almost. <laughs> yeah. 
I was rooting for the vampire. At the <laughs> I was not. I think he's uh, even worse. But uh, but yeah, no. That's I think my biggest um, kind of like drawback for this one is that not enough with the team. Like I wish more. Like I didn't realize Kerry Tagaba was in this one until the credits because I didn't. Oh yeah, him. he's wearing like uh, yeah, he's wearing like giant like uh, snowboard glasses. The whole scene that he's part of the team, and I was like, I didn't, I didn't realize it was him until he turned up in the in the credits. Yeah, what's well, a it's a shame not to utilize um, Takawa because he is so good. Um, nobody really delivers lines like him. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, did did he even get like a proper line or anything? Not really. The only people of the team, the sort of the ones that get uh, killed off, that I noted was like Mark Boone Jr. because he gets like the best part and the best death, totally. Yep. Of the team, and then of course the preacher. Do you recognize the preacher, Brenton? Uh, maybe. I don't think so. Go on. No, it's the original lieutenant on Miami Vice before uh, almost comes in. Oh. Yes. In the pilot. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So, up until the return of, uh, I forgot the name of the main antagonist of season one of Miami Weiss. That's a good job. The guy who gets away. Calderon. The, the return of Calderon. Yeah. Yeah. He, he's the guy. He's their lieutenant until he gets uh, killed and then replaced by almost. Yeah. Because I, I didn't realize that when I started watching Miami no, West this year. That, I didn't realize uh, it until that you almost, said it. But I'm watching. I was, no, when uh, I was watching, I was like, okay. I know this guy's face. No, I mean, like, I didn't realize that almost was a, like, midway through season one uh, character in Miami Vice. When I watched it, I was like, who the fuck is this guy? Where's Edward James almost? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So the one guy, uh, Anthony, I don't know, the guy that is opening the doors too fast and stuff in the first hunt. Yeah. And then he throws the the lamp through the window at the motel. I'm like, is that the guy from Predator 2 that wigs out on the roof with Danny Glover? I, I think it's the same actor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. The the, the start? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I do believe so. Yeah, he is like... Uh... He is definitely a, a character actor with a with a bit of a face. Yeah, this, I was like, ah, is that the guy who's snorting the cocaine? And yeah, I couldn't remember though. It's more stuntman, I think. Yeah, well, that's good. Occasionally showed up in a acting role. Yeah, that that happens a lot with sort of like people you recognize from several small action movies that they're they're actually just a stuntman who they put in front of the camera a bit. That tracks. So, what? Uh, speaking of stuntmen and stuff, what did you think of the the, the action of this film? I think it's uh, good. I do think it's a bit. Mm, well, that's only really happens at the end, really, with uh, which we'll probably should save for later. But with the crossfades, where they like, why would you? Why are you underselling the action with these all these this editing choices? Well, so I think. Like I get the sense when I watch this movie that they came up to a like the they came to a head with the budget at some point mm. because the movie builds to a pretty interesting climax 
I mean, and there's a lot of good stuff in the movie. Like, yeah. Action wise, there was part that I really like where he's um, on top of one of the vampires being dragged out of the house, and he's yeah. got his gun, and he's just shooting it in the face. Yeah, and that, well, that's another thing with this one compared to From Wrestle Dawn is that the vampires seem really difficult to kill in this one. Yes, well, they make it's an event every time, and they kill like I don't know a ton of them. Yeah, but it's like they shoot them so many times, and they. Just... It doesn't help that they that they bring weapons that cannot kill a vampire. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, these things are like they're like to stun them because that's it seems to work in in that effect they they stun them and they like he knocks Thomas Ian Griffith off the back of a car by shooting him in the face at one point. Yeah, well, he also is supernatural. He he literally can't die with anything other than sunlight. Yeah, but yeah, it does feel like we're sort of robbed of a bigger climax it's really just daniel baldwin literally says let's kill some vampires and then it just sort of just a bunch of weird cuts and then uh it's james woods fighting thomas ian griffith and that's your climax where where's all the vampire killing that daniel baldwin promised us yeah so that scene where they where daniel baldwin crossbows the crucifix uh, and then yeah, and saves James Woods, mm. and then the young priest runs up and he chops him off the the cross. Yeah, and they get up. It looks like that is about to be like the start of a big action scene. Yeah, and I think that they came up on either time, budget, or both, because it is that that is the biggest letdown in the entire movie. The only reason that I actually rank both of these movies is about even is because of that uh that letdown because that whole scene you're like oh my god they're about to have this great scene and no it just kind of cuts and the vampires run shrieking into the prison and i think a couple of them uh, don't quite make it but that's about it it's just yeah the sun starts rising a bit exactly they die because the sun coming up not because of something that James Woods and Tim Guinea do. Yeah, yeah, but then the sun is like it's like you sort of see like oh it's about to rise and then it's bam it's up. Yeah, it's like yeah it really I I tried looking into it but I couldn't find any where someone said like oh yeah they ran out of money or they ran out of time or whatever. No, that's just what it feels like. Um, yeah. I don't have any uh, factual evidence. I'd probably ask ask John Carpenter himself about it, but it absolutely feels like there's going to be a big action scene there. And there's just not, which is too bad because uh, yeah. everything else in the movie is so good. And it's also set up so well, like it just, yeah. oh, and then just, okay, now they're going to go. And then, uh, nope, we're just going to cut to the villain fight. Like the, there's, and they have all these weapons that they brought, you know, that they have. And then it's like, oh, they're going to probably utilize their tools to, take out this group but all of the vampires that run into the the prison at the end they just kind of hint that you know <laughs> they're just going to take care of themselves the two characters that are left at the end yeah it felt like it could have should have been more there is basically plus uh, Thomas Eden Griffiths death it's kind of similar to uh, uh, Dracula's death in the legend of the seven golden vampires yeah 
basically he basically just jumps onto the the cross the stake he does it's a bit of a it's a combination of uh, the ending of legend of seven golden vampires and the ending of uh, from dusk till dawn and the ending to the rundown exactly that was what i was thinking of yeah where the rock knocks yeah, the, the pole jumps out. into the pole yep. yeah. the support beam yeah but yeah, talking about uh, stuntman that you notice and stuff, did you notice who played one of the vampire masters in this one? It just hangs around with Thomas Ian Griffith at the end. Was it uh, Chad, Jeff Amata? No, it's Chad Stileski. Really? Yeah, he's one of them in the background. Just one of the male uh, vampire leaders, masters. Right, is it the short hair white guy? No, no comment. Okay. <laughs> he's one of them. Because I... I... I was trying to look at them this time when I was watching it, just trying to differentiate because they go, oh, he's got seven masters with him. And then I was looking at them trying to, but I, I didn't I didn't recognize any of them. No, he has six masters with him, right? Seven total. No, there's there's seven other. Oh, okay. And then he's the eighth. Okay. Which Sorry. they could have gone for, you know, 12 and made it like an apostles thing. But I guess they... They weren't going for that. Hmm. But they're not even going to show us the, them killing the seven. Why bother with making it 12? Yeah, that's true. Either way, uh, I enjoy this. Um, I really like the, the characters. That That's the part that feels like a Western. Uh, the In particular, the relationship between um, Jack and Montoya. Yeah. And uh, that's also what attracted uh, Carpenter to the script when he got it i think he he said he well he he want he wanted to make like a howard hawks western but he he ended up making more of a peckinpah western i think he said about it yeah yeah it feels that way but i mean and daniel baldwin is wearing you know clothes that are very reminiscent of you know something like what john wayne would have wore like that that kind of he, he looks like somebody from rio bravo yeah, I think he's specifically compared like the the ending with between James Woods and Daniel Baldwin to something like Red River. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, but you know who was the originally supposed to be be in this movie? Because this movie was shopped around for something like five to six years before Carpenter ended up doing it. Who? Dolph Lundgren. Really? You yeah. know what? I think I heard that. It was uh, Dolph Lundgren and Willem Dafoe was the uh, what they who they tried to get originally in the well Dafoe in the Griffith role. Um, so, um, I assume there was uh, I don't think that was ever specified, but yeah, Dolph Lundgren was the first choice as uh, Jack Crow. Obviously not under Carpenter. I think that's when uh, Russell Mulcahy was uh, attached to it, and he and Dolph uh, both left the project to do Silent Trigger. Yeah, you know what? I like Silent Trigger. I, I like this more. Yeah. But <laughs> And I don't think I don't think Dolph Lundgren would have been able to have the same asshole quality as uh James Woods. No, I would have actually much rather I mean, seen Dolph in the Thomasine Griffith role. Hmm. Maybe in the Daniel Baldwin role. Yeah, that would have been interesting too. Although Opposite just watch him slap a hooker around the whole movie <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was I'm kind thinking 
imagining Kirk Russell in the lead while watching it. Obviously, they would have to rewrite the character a bit. But, oh, fucking hell. I would have loved that film. Yeah, but I, I can imagine that. Um, but if, if it was Dolph in the villain role, I'm thinking, like, Dolph in Johnny Mnemonic. Just wild, weird shit. Yeah, well, Dolphin, Universal Soldier. Yeah, exactly the same kind of thing. Anytime Dolph goes big like that with his acting choices, that's when it's fun. Well, I guess we'll never see that now. No. Because that was 25 years ago and they didn't make it, so. (laughs) This is probably John Carpenter's best-looking movie. Well, there's some gorgeous shots. Yeah. And then there's, there's these shots. I was just thinking when in the early in the movie, when the team is in that house, the old decrepit farmhouse. I just really like the way it's it's filmed. Uh, they keep framing the team in these doorways, and everybody's wearing black, but it looks great. Hmm. I guess. I mean, this is uh, he's got a lot of great looking movies, so it's uh. It's a it's a tough challenge. I mean, I'm very favorable to the thing and its uh, split diopter shots. That's true. Did he and, ever? Um, he didn't. I don't know. I don't know when he stopped doing that. Me neither. Uh, Prince of Darkness also looks great. That's the same cinematographer as this one. Okay. Uh, but I think yeah, this. Um, one of the things that maybe does make this look great is that it comes after Escape from L.A. So you had the money. He, well, no, not so much, but that he, he, he really wanted to go back to doing practical and physical after the Escape from L.A. with all its uh, CGI oh, yeah. atrocities. So it's maybe maybe he he put in extra effort in this one because he wanted it to look. Uh, like make it look better, get real texture in it. And uh, the guy who shot this also shot uh, Vampires Two, Los Muertos. <laughs> so okay, let's see if that one looks as good. Yeah. Well, John Bon Jovi will look better than James Woods. Well, yeah. Debatable. He will look less less haggard, at least. Yeah, less like he's made out of leather. Does James Wood allow himself to wear makeup? Um. Because maybe that's what it is. Everybody's wearing makeup at James Woods. <laughs> um, yeah, for me, this film starts out really, really strong. Um, it keeps up the pace, but it sort of goes downhill for me as it goes along. Like especially the the romance between Daniel Baldwin and Cheryl Lee. Oh my God, that's so so terrible. Yeah, I don't really look at it as a romance rather than two characters in the same boat who both know they're going to die. <laughs> like, but he, like they, when they kiss at the end, it's disgusting for lots of reasons, not just what's happened, but because she full on has puke blood coming out of her mouth. And <laughs> you're just like, okay. <laughs> Yeah, I'm kind of glad they they really dropped having a having her be like James Woods' love interest, which is kind of like what it's set up as before the vampire uh, attack. 
She's also just, is she, is she young enough to play James Love's interest? <laughs> no, James Wood's love interest. Jesus, James Love's Wood interest. No, the other guy has Wood interest. Well, James, 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 he has some Wood interest in this one. He keeps making Wood puns. I wonder if that was, was that in the script before they cast James Woods? Or is that like, did they add all the Wood puns? I, I don't think so. I, I saw a video online. It said John Carpenter had him do two takes, at least. Once as scripted and one where he ad-libbed. Okay, so maybe that's just, that's the James Woods touch. It's just adding wood-based puns. <laughs> it's just that every other director yeah. he worked with was like, uh, we used the script take. But John Carpenter was like, this is gold. Yeah. Oh, give me more mahogany yeah. puns about boners. Yeah. Uh, and also, like he says something, he makes two anal rape jokes. I think. Oh yeah, well I well, yeah, I remember the one of them now about the vampire bends you over and something. No, they also say he'll he will find him and drive a stake up his ass. Yeah. <laughs> Several times. <laughs> yep. Um, and then he uh, offers to let Thomas Ian Griffith uh, nibble his ass at one point. So, mm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, well, that's generous of him. I feel. Yeah. Actually, my, one of my favorite things in the movie. This is like before I think movies got too glib uh, with the you know, with with the shit talking the villains. So when he was doing that to a character that I think before I'd seen this, villains were always treated with a certain level of fear and respect. Um, this felt very novel, you know, back in 98 or whenever this came out. I just never seen anybody uh, shit talk like a, a power, all powerful vampire in the same way. Yeah. Cause it's like, he is, so powerful and James Wood is just try to diminish that by talking shit about him all the time. Yeah. And I love that Griffith has that line where it's like, what will silence you? <laughs> <laughs> He's just like, Oh my God, shut up. This, this human will not stop making fun of me. <laughs> it's like, I'm going to, I'm going to tell my mom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> going to dig her up and tell her. But yeah, it's uh, I I I just never seen anything like this uh, back when I saw it uh, for the first time, and I think it retains that charm for me a ways. No, I like I like both these films, but both of them have absolutely the biggest assholes ever as lead characters. It's weird to, that that ha that has happened. Um, that we've come up with these with a double feature of just unlikable protagonists who are still likable. Well, I think George Clooney pulls it off better than James Woods. Well, you know, he's got the looks. Well, I think George Clooney pulls off being likable better than James Woods. He does not pull off being an asshole better than James Woods. Yeah, yeah, that's what I meant. He gets away with it. And for me, like James Woods is just an irredeemable vampire. The character. <laughs> well, the the fact that they, they make a joke of just kicking the piss out of a priest over and over in the movie. They're throwing him around like a rag doll. Yeah. 
So that. Yeah, maybe they should have stuck to the book and like made James Woods the bad guy at the end, but then you'd lose Thomas Ian Griffith yeah. anyway. So maybe not. There was a part towards the end. Um, I think that Tim Guinea, the, the the priest, just killed uh, Maximilian Shell. Yeah. Oh, we've not mentioned at all so far. Oscar winner, and we haven't even brought him up. Yeah. Um, and then Thomas Ian Griffith takes a, uh, a torch and holds it over the, the pyre. And then typically he's like, no, don't do it. And I was like, why do you care? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, James Woods hasn't exactly been been nice to the young Padre, so... Sort of like where does his sympathy lies there? I guess that like I get that Daniel Baldwin and James Woods have like a burnt out symbiotic relationship where he wants to save him, but also just really cool moment when he just like Thomas Ian Griffiths like uh, while the young priest is like, well, who's gonna do your ceremony now? And James Thomas Ian Griffiths like, well, you can do it, and then he just puts the shotgun in his own throat. It's just a shame that he doesn't just immediately pull off. Like, that would have been a great scene where he just, just sh- shot himself in the face immediately at the suggestion of doing the ceremony. Yeah. yeah. Well, I thought they were going to do something differently at that point. I, I might have misremembered, but um, Griffith was a priest 600 years ago, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I thought, like, oh, shit, he's a priest himself, so he can do the ceremony. But no, that's not the way they're going. So that might have been interesting. Yeah, I think the idea is that they need, like, there's this whole light and dark thing there. And so I think the idea is that they need a a good priest, uh, you know, good in quotations, as well as the dark priest, which he represents. But they don't really go into the specifics of what the ceremony is. They just keep calling it a reverse exorcism. And I would think that that means you're putting a demon into a body but I don't know. <laughs> well, no, they explained that part, like that they did a reverse exorcism in the, the 1300s, and it basically, it keeps the spirit but kills the body. That's why he's near immortal. Uh, and But what he wants to do now is uh, like do a step further so that he can also walk during daylight because that's his one weakness. Yeah, but I don't understand what the ceremony is. Well, it's to making him be able to walk in daylight. I don't know. What is, what is the it. process? And you burn. I guess a, it it involves drinking, or? drinking James Woods's blood, and then burn him. I don't know. Yeah, I didn't. Like I don't. I don't know the ingredients to this this goulash here. Hmm. But you know, it doesn't matter. They thwart him. That they do. I do like the whole um, um, getting the church involved in the creation of vampires angle. Um, it is weird that crosses don't work to scare them off, though. Yeah. You know, crosses are a symbol of the church. It would have made sense, but um, you know, I still like the angle. I just re- remembered it completely differently. I remembered. That it was sort of a, like a plot twist at the end, um, that the church was behind it. But no, no, it's just from the get go, 
we did this, whoops, and now we hire people to kill them. Yeah. Uh, another uh, connection I noticed uh, on this watching, or this viewing um, between this and From Dust Till Dawn, is they're both a part where somebody references the body count. Uh, Kelly Preston in From Dust Till Dawn says it brings the body count to 16. And in this one, there's a part where they say... <laughs> and they have those numbers on screen. No, well, they, don't, they don't do... They don't go that far, but it's just like this... No, no, in the, in the news report, oh, yeah. they, they add an extra police officer to the total yeah, count. Okay. And uh, it's kind of funny. Yeah. But sorry, go on. But then in this one, they, they talk about the 19 bodies at the hotel. Okay. When you said a body count, I was uh, thinking about something different, and I was like, well... Who brags about how many people they slept when in this movie? <laughs> they kind of point a finger at Cheryl Lee's character, but not really uh, in, the, in that direct, you know, literalize it. But they are like, oh, your life's, you know, she's not even worth anything. They, Daniel Baldwin wants to kill her for most of the time they're on screen together. Keeps bringing it up. Yeah. They only like, they got to keep her alive because she will be able to she will like I don't know, what is it like telepathically communicate with Thomas Ian Griffith well she can see what he sees basically and uh, well the the plan absolutely backfires like you would imagine it's also kind of weird that they established the telekinetic uh, link but then this isn't one of those vampire movies where if you kill the master all the others uh, are healed so to speak no, well, they say that if if they kill him um, before she turns, uh, they can save her. Like he, I don't know if they mean that, but they do tell her that. And then, of course, that doesn't work out. She turns and invites him, so we'll never know. Which uh, I think I like that turn on it, where you they they set something up and then take it away. I kind of like that. Yeah, um, this is the second movie that we watched that's just vampires and tits. Yeah, <laughs> and ass. Well, it's the it's the third one in a row, which is all vampires and tits. Really, <laughs> that's true. Well, from *Rest of Dawn*, is only fifty percent vampire and tits, but it really it does give you vampires and tits, and I think it's the only one that gives you vampire tits actually. Because uh, they in in from dust to dawn there is a lady who is topless and you see her tits and then she turns into a vampire and now she has really ugly vampire tits, <laughs> which also ties it back to the oily maniac. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Robert Rodriguez definitely watched the oily maniac. <laughs> well, I think Tarantino <laughs> definitely watched the oily maniac. Yeah. <laughs> but speaking, we just talked about John Carpenter's amazing soundtrack. But I really love uh, Tito and Tarantula from Dusk School Dawn. Oh, yeah, the band from Roadhouse. Yeah, that's right. And the band in the Diddy Twister as well. Yeah, excellent, excellent soundtrack for uh, that one as well. Yeah, I guess that's something that these two movies have in common as well, is they, they've got uh, great soundtracks. Yeah, and especially, well, it's a Rodriguez movie rather than an Tarantino movie, but it's not that much of the... Like jukebox soundtrack in From Dust Till Dawn. No, not really. 
better for it. Really, only repeats that one song, I think. Yeah, but it yeah. gives both of these movies that uh, like a twang feel. You know, they, that fits the Southwest setting. Yeah, yeah. Well, this uh, this one's set in New Mexico, and From Dust to Dawn is set in regular Mexico. Yes, as they call it. I think they yeah, they go from Southern California to Mexico. I don't know, I'm not really sure where they're from. Also, this one though, it does one thing that is, um, it really ignores the vampires not liking crosses thing. Cause yeah, they... that's what uh, Marty said. Okay, we we did bring it up. I just uh, I guess I was asleep at that time. Uh, that because uh, they crucify James Woods, which is like they build their own cross and put him to it, and they don't don't react. No, so. The MacGuffin is a cross. He has to go yeah. get a cross. Yeah. The black crucifix, but I thought maybe that was like was one exception because it's the black crucifix. But they also just build their own crucifix <laughs> and then crucify him, and it's like. Well, well early on, the guy that uh, Griffith cuts in half, and I can I cannot remember the actor's name. Mark Boone like, Jr. Yeah, he's wearing an upside down cross on his T-shirt. Mm. Interesting. Uh, yeah, because I thought maybe that was uh, Thomas Ian Griffith having been a preacher. Maybe he could like access that uh, crucifix. But later at the end, it was like all the masters are surrounding the. That crucify James Woods without uh, any reaction. Not that James Woods is yeah. very Jesus-like in, <laughs> in this movie or in reality. Uh, but also, uh, obviously, what would JW do? Oh yeah, obviously a reference to uh, Cyborg by John Carpenter here. <laughs> Cyborg by John Carpenter? He just kicked himself off the crucifix. Yeah, he's not not enough strong to. Just break that crucifix in a skin. Flight! Wait, this, this... Flight! Oh, my cat, sorry, my cat was pulling a... Cables. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know, does, does Van Damme just escape from the cross himself in Cyborg? He yeah, save... he kicks, kicks it down. He does, yeah, oh, yeah. Well, they didn't make James Woods badass enough to do that. Yeah, the, there's only one Jean-Claude Van Damme. What would the JCVD do? Yeah. <laughs> yep. Kick him. That's right. He would destroy the crucifix and escape. Yeah. He doesn't need Daniel Baldwin. This movie feels like it should be, like, like it's it's clearly pared down from something much longer. So it almost feels like it should be like a TV show, like a or mini series. Mm. Well, from dusk till dawn is a TV show. It is. No, they did reboot from Dust Hold. Yeah, they. Um, that's one of the hundred things Robert Rodriguez has made that you have not heard about. Uh, I think it's a bit. I don't know. Is it like maybe maybe ten years ago? Maybe less. I aired on El Rey, the network show. Mm, that's fitting. I think Don Johnson uh, actually. No, well, it's not fitting. It's what he did. It's he, that's Robert Rodriguez network, and he made named it after this. It's not fitting. That's okay. Just him, him, him going back, isn't it? Maybe I'm wrong. I thought that was uh, very intentional, not like accidental. Uh, but yeah, they made. Uh, I think uh, Don Johnson came in and played uh, Michael Park's character. Huh. 
Uh, I could be wrong. I, I don't. I well, I, I Don Johnson's in it. I don't. I can't promise that he plays the same character. Yeah, it aired from fourteen to sixteen, so it is ten years ago. Um, I don't. Re I don't really remember who's in it other than John Johnson, and he obviously is not one of the main characters. I think Jeff Fay was in it too. He he turns up in a lot of later Rodriguez stuff. Uh, Isaac Gonzalez. Who was in uh, Ambulance? Michael okay, Bay and S.I. Morales, who's uh, in Mission Impossible, the new one. Okay, the villain. Uh, obviously, Danny, obviously, Danny Trejo was in it. Um, obviously. And uh, I think Wilma Valderrama was in it. Maybe he was in the later ones. Robert Patrick. Oh, yeah, Robert Patrick plays the Harvey Keitel's character. Brianna Evigan. Sorry, I don't know who that is. Sorority Row, Burning Bright. Where she gets locked in the house with the tiger. Have you seen that one? I never even heard of that movie. Uh, but they do. It does follow the the Gecko Brothers, and um, uh, yeah, both uh, sex machine characters in it, and uh, the, the all the Fullers are in it, and uh, uh, yeah, ran for is that two or three seasons? Uh, uh, let me just... It ran for like 30 episodes, so... That is, uh, yeah, three 10-season... Three 10-episode uh, seasons, is what I'm trying to say. And, uh, yeah. Um, mm -mm, I think the first couple of episodes are... Sort of, like, takes off the movie. Uh, so it's, like, instead of... Basically what the the, the movie uses, like, uh, 40 minutes on the... Uh, the show uses like five episodes on and then I think maybe like up until like episode seven or eight of the first movie no uh, the of the first season basically covers all the stuff from the movie just uh, dragged out and then from the rest one out it's uh, new new stuff and then I guess uh, yeah doing the world expanding the world yeah El Rey Network founded by Robert Rodriguez so it's um it's him just referencing himself. Okay. And I think this was, this maybe was like the first real big thing that they did. Well, I think that, uh, that vampires probably should have been a show and from dusk till dawn, not so much. I don't know. You, I, hard to say that when you haven't seen anything. Yeah. <laughs> but these guys, you just kind of get a hint of their relationship and, and, I, th I think that it uh, it just feels like there are things that they're leaving out. You know, they talk about, you know, the the rules, the vampire hunter rules. And I think we learned three of them. I think we learned rule seven, ten, and one. Yeah. And I understand that this was, I mean, first of all, it's, an adapt it's adapted from a book. And also there was two screenplays adapted from this book. And both were given to Carpenter and he kind of played around with it. So I think that also causes a lot of that feeling that is like there is so much world here that like isn't really touched upon what do you mean two screenplays were adapted it was two separate scripts uh adapted from this novel and uh carpenter was given both of them to read and uh, pick his favorite i guess but i think he also maybe borrowed elements from the other one or okay yeah it makes sense yeah, so someone adapt vampires into a movie next. No, a TV show. Oh, yeah, also one major change to the From Dust to Dawn show is obviously that 
the Tarantino character does not die uh, uh, immediately in the second half. He's uh, in the whole show. They just keep around the, the creepy, crazy guy? I hope they make him uh, less of a uh, overt rapist is the word I think I'm looking for. Well, he's a he's a crazy person. Yeah, but also very much very very rapey in the movie. Yeah, and that's because that's the part that uh, George Clooney objects to the most. It's like yeah. I'm a bank, I'm a bank robber or whatever. You need to stop. He's a thief. I think is what he calls himself. Yeah, professional thief. I do believe Tom Savini has a cameo on the show. And I maybe I'm wrong because I haven't watched it, but I think Marco Soror appears in it too, which is why I was interested in it. But then obviously never watched it. Uh, uh, yeah, because I think that was around the time of Machete Two, which Marco Soror was also in. Oh, I love Marco Soror. I wish he did more good stuff. Well, he was in John Wick Four, and he did his. He reunited with that. Director, I'm blanking on his name, but the guy he did all the Chilean films with before he tried to make that Hollywood move that kind of didn't work out. I also want to point out that Tim Guinea, who plays the young priest, in the same year also had a role in Blade. Who's he so in Blade? He plays the uh, blood doctor, what do you call him, hematologist, the colleague of oh. the... He's, the main black girl, he's and the, he shows up in the pit at the end. Yeah, he's the boyfriend or whatever, the, 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 the ex-boyfriend. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. And she, she kills him with a spade or something at the end. They turned him and he put him in the pit. Yeah, because he, he's like a vampire. He's So there's a thing where the you don't always turn into a vampire. You turn into something else, and that's what he is. And they, so they just... Yeah put these like failed vampires into a pit and uh yeah that's that's what he is down there it's just kind of falling apart but undead nonetheless yeah all right i, I didn't even put that together as the same actor until you said that yeah because i i didn't really remember that actor from anything i was like i've never seen this actor or anything now i look it up and I'm like oh yeah i've actually seen him in quite a th few things so i just I don't remember him at all, apparently. Yeah. Cool that Dis and Blade both came out the same year. So Yeah. Great time for watching vampire action movies and uh in the cinema. Although I gotta give it to Blade, a uh, superior movie. Oh yeah. By far. Yeah, Blade's better than both of these. Um bad effects and all. Yeah. So put Thomas Ian Griffith in uh, Blade and put uh Steven Dorff in this one. Oh, I love Stephen Dorgan Blade. Yeah, but we wouldn't even be we wouldn't even be talking about it though. Yeah. Although I could imagine James Woods saying uh some motherfucker's always trying to ice skate up here. <laughs> With hard on. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think there I think you should just wrap it up there. I don't think we're getting any yeah. we're not topping that. No. So a quick quick what was your favorite of the two? Uh, vampires, John Carpenter's vampires, I felt was my favorite, and I feel that uh, mostly also just because it really cemented with what I wasn't enjoying so much with From Dusk Till Dawn was like just the the very clear absence of uh, of a protagonist, antagonist, sorry, antagonist, very 
the obviously protagonist in it. But yeah, I think Thomas Ian Griffith really is the what makes this one uh, the bad, my favorite one of the ones. Obviously, have I need to rewatch this one. I have I've seen From Dust to Dawn a dozen times more than I've seen this one. So I'm with you. Um, less about. Uh, Thomas Ian Griffith and more about James Woods who is apparently a very unlikable in person that's what I hear but I really I've always liked him even as a piece of shit he often plays a piece of shit and I think that is like that's like his bread and butter and I think it really works here yeah I think he's one of the all-time great cinematic like pieces of shit even when he's the good guy like in this one he's still somewhat a piece of shit yeah i mean he literally tortures a priest to get information <laughs> like he <laughs> yeah I mean, he's unsettling in a lot of a lot of ways yeah especially in stuff like uh cop too if you've seen that one he's uh yeah. he's the he's the main guy but he's just so mean-spirited and cruel in that one I think about him in uh, the hard way with Michael J. Fox. Yes, that's, that's what I think about him, and he's kind of similar. In yeah, this. there too. I mean, he obviously plays the asshole of the two. Yep. And uh, yeah, great villain in the Specialist, which is not a great movie, but a great James Woods. Uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, he kind of makes that movie work, honestly. Yeah, love him in uh, Casino and uh, short couple of scenes, but playing like really scussy pimp guy. Yep. Obviously, Videodrome, where he, I guess he, he does actually sort of play the good guy. But yeah, been on a, I've been on a David Cronenberg run as of late, so I thought about that one. That and Fred Williamson, huh? You know, I'll really separately, I watched 55 Fred Williamson movies in like uh, almost exclusively in February. <laughs> Fredruary. Yeah, it was Fredruary. Quite literally, I think fifty-four movies in twenty-one days. That's uh, no twenty-one. Oh, there's twenty-eight days in February. Good lord. Yeah, I think I watched like four of them just to join you, and that was more than enough. <laughs> it was uh, yeah. I think I watched two in March. I was like, wow, why am I? God, why am I returning to this well? And then... <laughs> I took a break, and then it was more. This one was more accidental. I did not. Uh, I try to suggest that I was gonna watch more Fred Williamson horror films. No, yeah, well, <laughs> just yeah, more Fred Williamson films. But uh, it was not my suggestion to watch this one. So, uh, Marty, though, what do you? What about you? Yeah, I have not seen From Dusk Till Dawn a dozen times. I still have that, just a tiny bit higher than Vampires. Mostly because I find George Clooney just a little bit more sympathetic than James Woods. Just a little bit. Okay. The likability of the lead characters is what sets that one just slightly above vampires for me. I enjoyed this double feature uh, immensely. I actually I did not have a bad time with either movie. Um, I actually quite like them both, Like as I said. It's just that I like From Dust Till Dawn less now than I did originally, and Vampire's a little bit more. 
Yeah, I mean, I would, I would recommend people do this double feature. It is a good, yes, good double feature. It has, uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it pairs up well, and it was even more connected than I expected it to be when I suggested uh, adding vampires to this episode. I should have suggested obviously zombie apocalypse redemption uh, for a Fred Williamson double feature. There's still time. That's not one of the ones. Yeah, that's not one. I haven't actually watched that one. Oh, wait, there's obviously you should have watched. It should have been Vegas Vampires. I did watch that one. Yeah. <laughs> Which has Daniel Baldwin in it. Oh, watch Vampires and Vegas Vampires and pretend they're sequels. <laughs> Even though. You will be confused. You will not have a good time with uh, Vegas Vampires. Which, uh, yeah, not a good movie. Very much feels like Fred Williamson uh, got someone to pay for him to go uh, to Vegas for a couple of days. Jesus, I, uh, I'm having flashbacks. There was one I watched, a Fred Williamson vampire movie, a different one. That was uh, fun. I think it was called Revamped. Uh, That's an underrated one. It's kind of like a... Sorry about that. Um. It was, it's a, like a vanity project with this guy called Jeff Rector who writes and directs it. And uh, he's he's a guy who, what is it? Like his wife is cheating on him and he uh, wants to, he watches a get revenge. So he watches a commercial on TV for someone who's like, oh, we'll turn you into a vampire. And then he does that and he, uh, <laughs> and then they just forget about him. Um it's like he gets cremated and then the, he just gets left in the morgue because his wife is dead. So nobody comes. His wife, no, his wife is unfaithful. So she doesn't care to come and get him. <laughs> and so he's just left in the morgue for years until someone accidentally knocks his urn over and he can get his revenge. Um, <laughs> it's very, very silly movie. It's like really balances. I'm not sure if it's intentionally good. It's too incompetent to be intent to be good, but it's also just weird enough to be really fun. Uh, Fred Williamson just plays like a cop in it, sits on a behind a desk and yells. But it's got uh, Martin Coves in it, uh, Vernon Wells in it, Billy Drago plays like the bad guy, Sam Jones from Flash Gordon plays this, uh, I guess like a Blade type, uh, like someone who is a vampire. Well, more of a James Woodson vampires type, I guess. This, uh, huh. uh, yeah, Darren McBee, the wrestlers in there, uh, really loaded cast. Reggie Bannister from, uh, what are they called? Phantasm? Yeah. He's in there. Plays like a guy who makes underground porn movies. Really weird. And, uh, Kato Kalin from the OJ trial is in there. He's, he was, <laughs> uh, well, he was, he was, he rented an apartment from OJ at the time of the murders. So he's in this one. Uh, I think he had a guest house or something. Yeah, he was like the uh, OJ's tenant, and he's in this one playing the guy who b- is banging the the main guy's wife. I think it's uh, honestly, yeah. If you want to watch something really unhinged and insane, check out uh, Revamped from two thousand seven, which is uh, one of the few like, uh, even though not good, one of the few surprising highlights of me watching. Uh, 54 uh, Fred Williamson movies in three weeks. Make it a triple feature at Revamped. Jeez. Yeah. When you do this at home, add Revamped. Up to up to you guys whether or not you want to watch uh, Full Tilt Boogie, the documentary. 
but uh, I recommend it. I, I saw that it's on YouTube. Yeah, yeah it's uh, I think the whole thing's uploaded. Like it was like a decade ago, but it's still there. That's a that's a good one. I might check it out. I enjoyed that one too. Would recommend. But uh, I think that'll do it today. I uh, think that will more than do it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, hopefully going to have an episode up on the Patreon uh, this uh, week. Well, no, there probably will be. A, hopefully there will be an episode up on the Patreon already when you listen to this, actually. And so then we'll... Um, that will be a separate feed that if you subscribe to the Patreon, you will you will get that feed and you can add it to your uh, podcast, po- podcast app of choice or you can just listen to it on the Patreon app if you're a member there. The, yeah. Join the Discord. Check out the website. Sounds good. Sounds good. All right. But this has been the All Out of Bubblegum, the podcast. And we'll see you all in the future. Bye-bye. Bye for now. Are you possessed by demons? Major chubby. Language, by the way, language.